This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Hey, good morning, Austin Life Church family, uh, friends who are joining in and, and watching online with us. Um, gosh, I wish so much that, uh, did I just say show much? I think I might have. It is. <laughs> oh man, you gotta love, you gotta love this, right? This is, this is real time. This is us. Uh, so uh, I wish so much that uh, this was in person. Um, I, I do not like the, the virtual and the technological. I'm grateful for what it allows and that we're still able to continue to do this. Um, but it is not my preference at all. Uh, and so I'm excited to rejoin in person on the 14th. Um, and so just have that marked down. Everybody come out um, with your masks and, and ready to go on the 14th. But uh, for now, we'll continue this way. Uh, last week we we talked. Uh, it's kind of like why are we here as a church? Um, if you're if you're new to Austin Life, if you are checking things out, if you're if you've been here from the beginning, it's important to remind ourselves why we're here. Uh, the fact is, we we read the same Bible all the time. Like it's not like we're oh well starting new information, right? Like we but we need to be reminded um, we are here as a church to love God, love others, and lead people to the fullness of life that is found in Jesus Christ. That is our purpose. Everything we do is towards that end. Loving God more, loving others, and and then leading more people to know the fullness of life in Jesus as well. But how are we going to do that? What are the the steps? What are the practices that we're going to have in place as a church that will help us do that? We believe that we can accomplish that purpose, loving God, loving others, and leading people to the fullness of life in Jesus as we devote our lives to practices of purpose that move us upwards towards loving God, inwards towards loving one another and and ourselves, and, and outwards towards leading people to Jesus. And so for today and the next two weeks, we want to take each one of those sections and just talk more about it. What does that actually mean? Uh, to love God, to, to love others, to, to lead people to Jesus. How can we do that? And so today we're going to talk about that first one, uh, loving God. And I want to read from Matthew 22. Uh, if, you, if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to it. If you're using an electronic version, um, that works as well. And the verses will also be on the screen. But we're going to be at Matthew chapter 22. And, and Jesus is going to, to answer a question and quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says in verse 34, When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to, to test him. Sounds like, sounds like a lawyer, right? Asks a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. Let's pray. Let's ask God to speak to us from his word, to to cause us to understand what he is communicating to us, um, and and to know him and to know how to live um, in him uh, as as he desires for us. God, uh, these are your words. Uh, you authored them. You, you used Matthew to, to record them. 
but they're your words given to us that we could actually know you and know how you desire for us to live. Um, and so give us insight into your words, your meaning. Um, speak to each one of us personally and individually. Meet us where we are uh, that, that we could better know you and love you. It's in the name of Jesus that we ask. Amen. So we have believed uh, and still do that we're all asking that question within ourselves of how do we make the most out of life? How do we live life to the, to the fullest, right? How do, we, how do we have the fullness of joy? And, and what I know and what we know in life is that right order matters, right? That you, you do step one first and before you do step seven, right? Um, we, got, we got our kids a trampoline a couple of years ago for Christmas, and they were excited. They were ready. They were eager to, to go jump on this trampoline, to enjoy the, the fullness of the pleasure of this trampoline. And so me being you know the, the rock star dad that I am, uh, I was like, hey, I got this. I'm going to go put this trampoline together, and you're going to hippity hop on it and have all the fun you can possibly have. So boom, I go out there. And I see the parts, and I see the pieces, and I see the instructions over here, and I'm like, cool, or whatever. And I start putting things together because it can't be that difficult, right? And then I get, so I get the, the, the frame and, and the, uh, the, the, the mat, the trampoline. I get it all sprung on there, pulled together. And then I'm putting up the, the safety netting, and I realize that uh, I had put the frame together wrong, um, that, that I was just, I was off by one, one connection point over. I needed to, to shift everything over. Um, I missed step one. Like I, 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 I didn't do step one properly. And, and then by the time I got down to the end, I, I had to go back and redo it all. And, and it made, it, it drug out and delayed the, the enjoyment of my kids with the trampoline because step one matters, right? You've got to start there. And, and this is what the, the Pharisee is asking Jesus. Hey, if we want to live life to the full, and Luke, uh, in, in, in Luke, he actually records him as saying, like, how do we have eternal life? Right? They're, they're asking that question of, okay, in all of the law, the law is the Old Testament law, starts with the Ten Commandments, and then there's another 603 laws that God gives in the Bible. And and the Jewish, uh, the Jewish people took that law and said, okay, this is God's way for us to live life to the full. And, and so they're asking the question, okay, if, if here are the steps, what is the most important one? Where do I start, right? Like the foundation matters. You, you've got to have a solid foundation to build the other steps on. So what is the most important step? The reality is we're, we're all... We all have a rule book. We all have a we have something that tells us how to live, right? Whether it's our own personal philosophies or if it's the, the Torah or the Quran or the Book of Mormon or, or science or or culture, right? There's there's something that is shaping us and, and telling us, like, hey, here's how to, to live. And so where do we start? Like, what is the most important thing to get right so that the rest will follow in the right steps and we can live life to the full as we're designed to live? Is it the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have me do unto you? Right? Is that what's most important? Is treating others the way that we'd want to be treated? Is it, if it feels good, do it? Man, seek, seek your happiness and pleasure. Life is short. Nike, just do it, right? You know, is, is that what it is? Is it 
I, I am good enough. I am my own path. I am my own answer. Whatever comes up for me, like what is the, the first and most important thing in life to get right? That's what this guy is asking. Hey, Jesus, where do we start? If nothing else, if nothing else happens, what is the most important thing to do? The greatest commandment to live by, and Jesus answers him, right? Jesus says in verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. This is step one. This is the foundation to build your life on. Love God. Love God. You can start to see why our mission as a church is to love God first. We exist to love God and love others. That's the second commandment. We'll talk about that next week. You can see why loving God is so important, why we say that it matters, because Jesus tells us it is the greatest commandment. And so when we get to that, right, and we're thinking, okay, what does that mean? Like, what does it actually mean to, to love God? When Jesus uses the word love here, what is he meaning? And when he says to love God, what does it mean to, to give love to God, right? Like, I'm going to love Stephanie and love Mike differently, right? Amen? Yes? But, but for me to love those individuals, those people, is to love in a certain way. If Stephanie loves to receive gifts, and, and I try to love her with physical touch, and she's like, why are you touching me? You know, like, I'm not loving her. I'm, I'm loving my idea of her and how I want to love her. But to love her specifically is to know, okay, what does she feel loved by? How do I love her? So what does it mean to love God? What is this word? Because, gosh, the word love, man, it is so, like, oh my word. Like, man, I was throwing that around at, Man, I, I loved my fourth grade crush, you know? I love snow cones. I love my dog, Clark. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love God. Surely that same English word for love does not mean the same thing. Surely my love for God and my love for Stephanie and my love for snow cones are not all the same. So like, what does this mean to love God? The Greeks, they used four different words um, where we use the one English word love. They, they, they were onto something. Um, and the word that is used here is agape. You shall agape the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So what does agape mean? Agape is a love of, of choice, of volition, of, of will. Agape is not dependent on feeling or attraction or, or what someone or something can, can give to you, but rather agape, this word for love that Jesus uses, it is a love that actively chooses to seek the well-being, the happiness, the good of another without condition or expectation of return. Agape is a selfless love. It's a selfless commitment to the good, the best of another, no matter what. So much of our understanding of love is based on, really, I think, two things. 
an attraction, this feeling, this emotion that, that comes up, that, that rises in us. Like we, we love someone because we're attracted to them because there's this emotion, this feeling that tells us, okay, I, I love this person or, or love is, is based on what someone or something can give to me. Someone makes me feel good about myself. Someone makes me happy. Something makes me feel complete and whole. But agape is not based on any of these factors. Yeah, it's great when those are there, when those emotions and feelings are there. It's great when we're receiving um, love in return. But agape chooses to give love. Agape chooses to prefer the other and seek their best regardless of what they give to us, regardless of the circumstances around us. Let's take a marriage, right? A, a healthy and a strong marriage is, is built not on the foundation of feeling, because ask anyone who's been married for any length of time, and feelings rise and fall, come and go. Uh, the, the strength of a marriage is not built on the, the foundation of attraction, because attraction is not always there. Circumstances change, people change, and that, that attraction that we once had at the beginning, it, it's probably not going to be there all that long. Agape love for a marriage, that, that love is not based on um, even like this, I, I, I'm happy to be with this person because there's times where maybe we're not. The, a thriving marriage is built on the foundation of agape love. I am choosing to be with you and to pursue your best no matter what. I'm committed to your joy and well-being above all else. I, I, I promise to love you through the good days and the bad. I promise to be there in the easy and the hard. I promise to be true and faithful to you alone as long as we both shall live. I am in and I will give you my love and the best I can give you no matter what. That is what makes a marriage thrive and succeed through all the ups and downs and lefts and rights and twists and turns. Is that love that says, I am giving, I'm choosing to pursue your best, your praise, your glory, your happiness, no matter what. When you put two people in a marriage who are pursuing that together, dynamite. Like an amazing marriage. And this is the love that Jesus commands us to love God with. God, I am choosing to pursue you above myself. I am committed to seeking your glory. I'm committed to honoring you. I, I am de dedicating my life to, to elevating you and seeking your best even above my own. That, that's, that's the word for love that Jesus is talking about. That is the kind of love that we are called to have for God. And Jesus says to, to love God, how? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. In Deuteronomy and some of the gospels, they, they use the word strength. And, and it's not so much like, you know, dividing our, our, our person into different ways to love God. Jesus is just saying that we are to love God, to choose to prefer and honor and glorify God with everything that we are, with our, our whole being, a full devotion of oneself to the glory and happiness and pleasure of God 
first and foremost. Should I say this, these words? Well, would these words please God? Would God be honored to hear me say these words? If yes, then speak to them. If no, then that's not loving God. Should I, should I do this? Should I, should, I, should I do this action? Well, would this action make God happy? Would He be proud of this action in my life? If yes, then go for it. If no, then that's not loving God. That's not seeking His pleasure. Should I think about these things? Should my mind be, be fixated on these images? Well, do these thoughts please God? Do they honor God? Do they... Do they seek Him above myself? Then, then think those thoughts. If they don't, then that's not, that's not loving God. Should I care about this? Should my value be for this? Well, is it something that God cares about and God values? If yes, then, then yeah, do that. That's loving God. If no, then no, that's not loving God. Jesus says we are to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind Everything that we have is to seek God first, to glorify Him, to honor Him, to please Him. So I think we have to ask this question, do we love God? Is He our chief and primary aim? Do we want to honor Him above all else? Do we want to devote our lives to him, Do we want to resist temptation because we want to glorify God? Do, do we have a, a passion for Him, an affection for Him, a, a desire to honor Him regardless of how we feel or regardless of the circumstances or regardless of what we want? I mean, can I be honest? I think where it breaks down, where, where our love for God fades is because we want something else. And we end up wanting it more than we want to love and honor God. And Jesus is saying the greatest commandment, the foundation to build your life on, is to have a life that loves God first, that chooses His way first, that lifts Him up before myself, that takes everything I do, my thoughts, my words, my actions, my feelings, everything, and filters it through the question of, does this most love and honor and prefer and exalt God? If yes, then that is choosing to love God. If no, then that is choosing to love self. And Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God. So how the heck do we do that? If, if you're thinking about this, if you're reading this and taking this as Jesus commands us, you're probably thinking, well, shoot fuzzy. I can't do that. Like, I can't really live up to that standard. Like, I might have some good moments, but dang, how am I supposed to actually love God with all of me all the time, all the time? And part of the beauty of the gospel is that we can't. Like, we, 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 we can't. We're not able. We're not selfless enough to love God this way on our own strength. Which is why 1 John 4.19 is so critical. John says, 
we love, we agape, we, we do this, we obey this command to love God. We love because. Why? Why do we love? How do we love? Like, what, why do we love God this way? We love because He first loved us. One of the key foundations of the good news of Jesus, the good news of, of God, is that He goes first. He pursues us. He initiates. He agaped us first. He commands us to agape Him, to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the great thing about God, the beauty of God, is that He doesn't command us to do anything that He hasn't first done for us in Jesus. So God says, hey, love me with all your heart, but we love Him because He first did it for us. Now let me break that down in two ways. God's love for us transforms first our heart and then our mind and our hands. We're never truly going to do this, truly going to love God unless our heart is first compelled by His love. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, I am compelled by the love of Christ. I'm constrained by the love of Christ. The love of Christ has just gripped me and changed me, and I can't help but love Him in return. What is that love that is so compelling and so gripping? It's, it's Romans 5.8 that God demonstrates His love. Puts his money where his mouth is. His talk is not cheap. He promised to love us and he showed us that he loved us. And that while we were still sinners, while we were going this way, away from God, choosing ourselves in our own way, God in some remarkable, supernatural, otherworldly love pursued after us. We rejected him. We rebelled against him. We were hostile enemies to him. We told him, hey, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to do my own thing. And yet he still pursued us in love. And while we were still sinners, while we had done nothing to clean ourselves up or to make ourselves presentable or to make ourselves lovable, that is when he chose and committed and determined that dadgummit, he's going to love us anyway. He's going to pursue us in love. He's not just going to talk about it, but he's going to show it. And he loved us first. And Jesus, he came to fix what we broke and to restore us into a right relationship with God. There's a book called Redeeming Love. It's, it's being made into a movie. I think it's going to be re released this year. And, and yes, it's a romance novel, but fellas, it is good. It's a good book, right? And, and the story is of a man, his name is Michael Hosea, and God calls him to marry, to pursue and marry Angel, who's a prostitute. To pursue her and to marry her and to redeem her out of that life, into a life of love and fullness and joy. And so Michael, he goes and he pays the price for her release from that, that slavery. Literally pays the price, brings her into his life in her home and marries her and makes her his wife. This love that was not based on a condition she met or, or even something that she gave to him in the first place. And then, because darkness has a way of working itself back into our lives, she returns back to her old lifestyle. And you can imagine the, the heartache and the hurt that, 
that someone would feel when their wife leaves and abandons them and, and betrays them and rejects them. And yet, in love, Michael Hosea pursued his wife again. She didn't come back to him. He pursued her and brought her back home. And it was this unconditional, unmerited, supernatural love that softened her heart and changed her heart and changed her life. We cannot love God unless He first loves us, which He did in Jesus. He put His heart on the table. He put His life on the table and He pursued us and He, he paid the price for our rescue from sin that we could be brought out of a life of sin and into His family. And in the resurrection of Jesus, he, he seals that and He says it is paid for in full and it is secure for anyone who would receive this love. God's love for you is immense. Paul prays in Ephesians 3 that we would have a supernatural power to comprehend His love. It's so incredible. And it's His love for us first that changes our heart and compels us to love Him. So how do we love God? How do we complete this? It's by receiving and knowing the love of God. It's the only way we can love Him. And if you're thinking like, okay, well, I, I understand I've received this love, now it's all about what I do. No, we, we never move on from this. God's love is so incredible. We'll never graduate from that and understand it. We, we just know it better and more and more and more and more, and it compels us more and more and more. And so we sit in this and we say, God, you command me to love you and you tell me that the way I can do that is by receiving your love first. God, your love is incredible. You loved me. But then God's love for us first gives us what we need to do it. He doesn't just change our heart, but he sends his spirit to come live in us so that our minds will be changed and our abilities will be changed to actually live differently. John 14, Jesus says in John 14, um, I just wrote down 21 there, but there's another verse I want us to read. In John 14, oh yeah, 21, he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, whoever obeys my commandments, the commandment to love God, whoever has those and keeps them, that's the one who loves me. So, Jesus' expectation is that our love for God will be demonstrated by our obedience. But he also says just a few verses before that, I'm going to send my spirit in you. My spirit of love will come and live in you and enable you to actually do this. So not only does God change our heart, but he gives us his very power, his spirit to actually do this. We have everything we need to love God. We can keep this commandment. We can love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not because we're able, but because God's Spirit is in us by faith, and we have the ability to put God first. We have the ability to resist temptation. We have the ability to say no to something that will dishonor God. We have the ability to obey His commandments because He lives in us and enables us. It's just a question of do we have the faith to believe that and actually walk in it? So when we trust Christ, He changes our heart and then He gives us His Spirit to actually obey this commandment of loving God. By Christ, we can do this. By Him in us, we can 
live for Him and love God. Now, here's the final thing. We're commanded to love God, but we can't do that without Him loving us first. Good news, He's already done that. In Jesus, He has loved us first, and He's made a way to change our hearts and given us His Spirit to enable us to love Him. But then we still got to walk it out, right? We still have to actively obey, actively put practices into our lives that will help us to love God, right? I can have a motivation and have the ability to diet, but then I've got to actually take the steps of getting rid of junk food or inputting you know, more vegetables or whatever it is, right? I actually have to take the steps. I desire it, I have an ability, but now I have to walk in it. And so as a church, we, we have practices that, that we believe if we walk in these practices, these intentional habits and patterns that we will, we will position our lives to love God, love others, and lead people to the fullness of life in Jesus. So what are these practices that will help us and position us to, to keep our hearts and our minds towards God, towards loving Him? There's three things that as a church we are practicing in order to, to help us love God. Worship gatherings, prayer gatherings, and, and generous giving or tithing. Everything we do is meant to love God, right? So community groups or discipleship groups or serving, all of those things will, will help us love God and keep our hearts towards God. But, but these three things we, we believe are most geared towards, towards positioning our hearts and our minds towards Him. So last few minutes, I just want to briefly talk about what that, that looks like for us. In Acts chapter 2, we see the first church coming together and forming. And we get a brief picture of what that first church did in Acts 2, uh, verses 42 through 47. It says they devoted themselves. That that word devoted is key. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Just in those five verses, you see love God, love others, and lead people to the fullness of life in Jesus. So some of the practices that began there are the practices that we're seeking to implement here today. Worship gatherings. They they gathered together to corporately give worship and praise and and affection to God. The, the The worship gathering is the gathering of the local church to passionately and joyfully worship God for who He is and what He has done for us in Jesus. You see reading and teaching of the Bible, singing and praying and remembering what Jesus has done, confessing sins and and giving tithes and offerings. The the worship gathering is first and foremost meant to be a place where we fix our eyes, set our hearts on God. The worship gathering is not something that we come to, to get from, but to give to God. I think the 
The biggest problem we have with our worship gatherings is that we approach it from the mindset of what am I going to get out of this? What am I going to get from this? And the, the design of the worship gathering is to be what am I going to give into this? What am I going to give to God, to others? Candidly, we, we approach the worship gathering selfishly rather than selflessly. But the worship gathering is meant to be a place where we are selflessly worshiping and praising God. Our focus is on Him. So as a church, we meet every Sunday to worship. What's your role in that? Well, the New Testament would not comprehend someone who said they were a Christian and didn't gather for worship with the church. Like it just didn't make sense to be like, it's like a fish out of water. A Christian not worshiping with the church, it, it didn't make sense. And what's crazy, you see here, right in verse 46, day by day they attended the temple. Like it was a regular gathering, and, and quite candidly, we struggled to once a week meet together. We've let the worship gathering be something that has just slipped in priority, and so many other things take priority before. We're so quick to say, oh, it's okay, it's no big deal. And, and there are times we're going to miss, and that's okay. But, but by and large, it, it, we should be there. That should be where we gather with the church to worship God. And it should be the place where we come to give to Him. We're not thinking about what am I getting from this? Do I like the way this is done? Or did that meet my preference? We're thinking, man, what can I contribute to the praise of God? Or we're not thinking, man, what are people thinking about my singing? Or do I look silly? We are fixed on worshiping God together. Man, I'm praying that our worship gatherings will be a place of vibrant life, worship, passionate, joyful worship for who God is and what Jesus has done. So we believe as a church that when we commit to that practice, we will position our hearts to better love God. We also believe as a church when we commit to the practice of prayer gatherings, we will position our heart to, to love God. The early church would gather frequently just to pray. We see in chapter 1 of Acts that they were gathered in a house devoting themselves to prayer. We see that when Peter was arrested and then um, during the middle of the night, the angel of the Lord opened the prison cells and told him to, to walk out. He went to a house. It's the middle of the night and the church is gathered praying for him. At that time, like they, they gathered just to pray, to commune with God, to connect with God because they loved God. If, if I said I love Stephanie, but I never have conversation with her, I never commune with her, you would probably question whether I really love her. Prayer is that communion, that conversation with God where our, our hearts are connecting to His. In this first church, they, would, they were devoted to praying. And so as a church, we're going to have monthly prayer gatherings, once a month on a Sunday night where we meet up at the building and together we pray. We, just, we, we pray together. But we're also starting weekly prayer meetings at different times in different locations around the city where we just gather together to pray as a family, as a church, to talk with God. And of course, the individual private prayer is so important as well, where we take time daily just to sit with and talk with God and to listen and to commune with Him. And so as a church, we are seeking to have practices of prayer gatherings that love God, that position our hearts to love God. 
And the last thing is generous giving. You see in the early church in, in verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. The, the church recognized that everything they had was given to them from God. And so they were generous to give it back to the ministry of the church, to care for one another. They truly looked at each other as a family. Man, I don't know how it is in your family, but in my family, right? When, when someone's got a need, we take care of it. We, we help each other out. Like, that's, the, that's how a family should be. I realize we don't all have that. Like, we don't all have a great family experience, but we all know that's how a family should be. Man, my sister's got a need. I'm going to do what I can. I've got a need. She's going to do my, my parent, right? We take care of one another. And we see that in the church, that there was a generous giving. And there was a tithe to the church. And the, the church would then help, help distribute the, the giving to, to those in need in the church, outside of the church, to further continue the ministry of the church. And so God invites us to give generously. Man, I... I it was really altering for me and changing for me when I, I came to this realization that why does God call us to give? Why, why does He call us to tithe? Like, is His bank account running low? No. God's bank account is just fine. Does God need our money? No. Everything's His. He doesn't need our money. It's like my kid's borrowing my money to go buy me a birthday present, right? Like, it's my money. I don't need it. You know, like, and, and so... God doesn't need our money, so then why the heck does He call us to give? It's not because God needs from us, it's because God is wanting to give for us. Right? Like, God doesn't need our money, so He's giving, He's actually giving us something as we hold on loosely to our resources. As we hold on loosely to something that so often holds on tightly to us, what we will see is God's faithfulness, and we will see God's, God's provision. And then our, our hearts will grow to love and trust Him more as we see the joy in giving. God's nature is one of generosity and of giving. That's why we exist. And so, of course, we will move more into His presence as we join Him in generously giving. The more that we give, the more we actually receive from Him, from His presence. And so God invites us to give so that our hearts will be postured towards Him. And so practically speaking, and we'll wrap it up, are you worshiping with the church? Is Sunday worship gathering a priority? Because it locked in, I will be there. And when you come, why are you coming? Are you coming to get from it or are you coming to give to it? Are you coming to get from God or are you coming to give God worship and praise? Is your focus on those around you or is your focus on God, the worship gathering is a time to come and to passionately give our hearts and worship to Him. Are you coming to worship? Are you participating in prayer gatherings? Or is that something where you're just so quickly pushing to the side? I get it. It's hard. Man, prayer's tough. Will you set aside those times? The last Sunday of each month, Times throughout the week to meet with the church and pray. Time for yourself where you and God are communing. Are you praying with God? Are you giving generously? We encourage you to take the first 10% of your income and tithe it to the church. You're giving back to God what's already His. But then what we really encourage is for you to say, all right, God, 100% of what I have is actually yours. What do you want me to do with it? It's all His. 
How do you want me to steward this, God? I'm in. I'm going to give. I'm going to tithe. Is there more you want me to do? Do you want me to give beyond this? Do you want me to take care of this need? Do you want me to ask God what He wants you to do with His resources that He's given you? But we've got to set up those practices. And they, they position us and shape us to actually love God. That's what we are first and foremost committed to, is loving God. These are some practical ways, some practices that we can implement into our lives in order to do that. This is what will lead us to the fullness of life. It is what will move us into the purpose we've been created for, is first having that foundation of loving God. All right, I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to ask the Spirit to seal this in our minds and our hearts. So would you pray with me? Holy God, you love us more than we could ever love you. You love us more than we can imagine. You are for us. Your command for us to love you is not because you need from us. It's because you want to give to us. You want to, to move us to be like you. And so, um, Spirit, I'm asking you for me, for, for anyone listening, that you would seal this truth in our minds and our hearts, that we would be convicted and compelled at a heart level to love you, and that that would move our, our minds and our hands to follow in obedience. God, if there's any area that we have put ourselves first, that we are not honoring you with, God, may we know your grace, that you invite us for freedom to confess that and to repent that, that there's healing and life that is found in laying that down and returning to you. Would you burn deeply in our hearts the truth of Acts 3 that when we repent and return, then we find refreshment for our souls, that that is how you designed us. So God, speak to us. Burn passionately in our hearts. Thank you that you've loved us first. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.